Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Spokane, Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Wayne, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in what is today the beautiful Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Worthwhile to mention also the forthcoming The Rise of the Digital Mob, which hopefully woot, woot. Will, be, woot, woot, will be available in the spring. You'll be hearing more about that as we go along. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking with some of the nation's, well, and the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. If you would like to help us in promoting this work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org slash donate. Greetings there, Jethro. Hello, Fred. It's so good to see you today. Ah, uh, the same here. Making it through one more week. Um, so <laughs> before we get started on today's show, which is everything you wanted to know and some that you didn't about the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Let's do a little calendar update. What is going on at your end? Um, well, I actually just yesterday got um, noticed that I'd be presenting at the Attachment Trauma Network Conference in Houston in February, talking about how social media exacerbates trauma with Friend of the show, Tessa Stuckey, we're doing a joint presentation, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Actually, if not our first guest, certainly in the first two or three guests that we had yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, she, so. was, she was number one, so that's pretty exciting. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Well, the uh, travel dates for my keynote address at the Professional Practices Institute in mid-October uh, in Oklahoma City is uh, creeping up on me, so... Looking forward to that. I will be uh, doing a presentation entitled, um, It's 10 a.m. TikTok. Do you know what your kids are up to? <laughs> I'll be uh, doing a presentation entitled, um, It's 10 a.m. TikTok. Do you know what your kids are up to? <laughs> and hopefully educating uh, the investigators and licensing professionals from PPI about some of the social media apps that they should be aware of in terms of doing teacher misconduct investigations. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And then I've got actually a couple of webinars coming up, but on topics that are a little bit off the beam for this show. So um, not really worth talking about, but will still be entertaining. <laughs> yes. So anyway, that's the, that's the list for right now. Um, I'm looking forward, like you, to 2022. I'll be up in Alaska, your old stomping grounds. Oh, good. And we will talk about the Alaska Society for Technology and Education uh, along around my birthday. So. 
Excellent. All right. Well, that's going to be fun. That's always a great conference and one of my favorite conferences that I got to go to. So excited for you to be up there and hopefully I'll be able to join you again. I did speak there a couple times with you. So hopefully I'll be able to do that again sometime soon. Well, I think what we need to do, just kind of giving a little behind the curtain look to people, is we should put in a proposal for a joint presentation for the next one and go from there. I think that would be a really smart idea obviously the center will have some interest in promoting that so we'll go yeah. uh, we'll go with that absolutely well let's talk about our topic today um yes which is about COPPA, the child online privacy protection act which lest you start falling asleep right now it's <laughs> it's actually a good thing and maybe not as boring as you might think originally we have receipts. We have companies that have <laughs> violated the Child Online Privacy Protection Act, and we will give them a shout out because parents need to know about what this act does in terms of regulating the collection of information from children under the age of 13 and what they can do about it if they think their children's information is being collected. Mm-hmm. And this is a... Um... I think this is a widely misunderstood law because it is not about preventing or limiting access to inappropriate content. It governs whether or not other people can collect information about kids online. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did. And I think that that's a really important thing to point out. Um, And before we dive in too deeply, I think it's useful to give a shout out uh, to our uh, friend Heather Stratford, who is CEO of DRIP7, which produces online courses for people on different topics. And I've had a chance to work with the company on producing a mini course built around the Child Online Privacy Protection Act. So a lot of my recent interest in in this law stems from that. But you're putting your finger on it exactly, right? You and I have talked many times on this show about the fact that certain online services like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and so forth are nominally limited to kids who are 13 and older. And the reason that they are is COPPA, the Child Online Privacy Protection Act. Now, as you and I both know, there are tons of kids under the age of 13 on these various social services. So one of the questions that constantly needs to be asked is, why is the FTC not doing more to use its regulatory power to address all of the information that a Facebook or an Instagram or a Snapchat gets from kids when they use these apps? Well, why are they not doing more? Well, number one, it's really difficult to know how old people are on the Internet. So that's certainly an area of concern. That's something that we talk about all the time, that there's really no way to verify. Uh, You could do what they do in China, which is every time you uh, register for some service, you have to use your government-issued ID to verify um, how old you are. And that is that seems kind of antithema to what we want to do here in the United States. So uh, it may get to that point, but I don't think anybody really necessarily wants that to happen. Um, But I will say, if that's the way it's going to go, I think it's going to start with young kids when they... Uh, this is the place where that kind of a thing would start with the youth, that that's where you'd need to register so they know exactly how old you are. And um, it, it's interesting because it's easy to think that that could solve all of our problems, but it still wouldn't. And there's still 
more to it. So um, I think the only other thing that I wanted to talk about was um, was recognizing that it is it's also as it relates to things that are directed towards kids. So um, in Facebook is not directed towards kids, or so they say. Instagram is not. It's directed to those who are over 13, um, and that's what their marketing says. And even in their terms of use, it says that. But there are also um, games and toys and activities and things that are directed at kids that are younger than 13, and it's very specific about not allowing you to collect information from those. Yeah, that's absolutely true, and and that is precisely the the kind of defense that you know Facebook would use vis-a-vis its main service or Instagram or what have you. One of the things, though, that if you look through the incredibly helpful FAQ that the Federal Trade Commission has put online, and we have a link in the show notes to give people a chance to go visit that, it is clear that if a company has actual knowledge that kids under the age of 13 are using their service, then the provisions of the Child Online Privacy Protection Act still apply to them. And so you are starting to get some interest on the part of Congress in terms of tightening up the overarching law and then the regulations that enforce it. Because, you know, I think that there are some real concerns about the desire of companies to monetize this information that they're collecting from kids. So that's that's probably the main thrust of it all. Then the subsidiary thrust from you know, a parental perspective is, is my kid at risk? Because there's some identifying personal information that's being you know, collected and in some way distributed across the internet. And, you know, a lot of this stuff gets overblown in terms of how much actual risk there is, but it's still disconcerting. Yeah. And, you know, the the risk comes from the the scary stories that we hear. But when you look at what the what the FTC says you're not allowed to collect information on that, I think it gives you, you know, reason to think about some of those concerns. So. Just want to go through these uh, personal information that's protected under COPPO. These are also in the show notes, so I'm not going to read everything on here. But first and last name, home address, including uh, the name of a city or a town, telephone number, social security number. I mean, those are all like things. Yeah, we don't want those things out there. Um, But then also we come to ideas like geolocation and IP address targeting and our fingerprinting and things like that, where we know where people live, uh, who use the services that are created out there. And that's, those are the kinds of things that, um, it's one thing to social engineer some of those things. It's another thing to have that right at your fingertips when it's someone who's under the age of 13. Right, and and I really wanna draw a bold line under the geolocation piece, because that I think is, is a particularly disturbing a piece of information that can be collected so easily. I mean, think about the number of things that your child does on their mobile device. And that, of course, is relying heavily on geolocation for the provision of services, for interactivity of one kind or another, so on and so forth. So it's information that programmers have gotten very sophisticated about collecting. And if you are not on top of the apps that your child is using, on their phone, then there's a real risk that information is leaking out that you're not aware of. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it, let me tell you, it is easy to not be on top of that stuff with your kids. <laughs> and and the, yeah. the when your kid is reading a book, you can see what book they're reading. When they're on their device, you can't see anything that they're doing unless you're looking directly at it. So it's it's really, really tough for parents and something that I appreciate that there's some support from the federal government for that. Um, but it's also also really challenging. So what are some of the rights that parents have under COPPA? Well, I think that, again, uh, there's a long list that the Federal Trade Commission has identified as emerging from the statute, the Child Online Privacy Protection Act. And again, we're not going to read all of them, but a good chunk of them are listed in the show notes. I think the ones that we've highlighted that are most important for parents to be aware of is number one, if you have a commercial operator or an online service provider who is targeting children, then their first and primary obligation is to have a very clear and comprehensive online privacy statement. And it can't be one of these things, you know, you see these websites and they'll put like the privacy policy in six point font, you know, Mm -hmm. down at the bottom of a lengthy page and, and it's really hard to find. The FTC says that is not adequate. What you have to do is to make your link to the privacy policy clear findable, you know, just simple to reach so that parents can really assess what the privacy rights are, what the privacy policy is. And on top of that, it's not just enough that the link has to be clear, but the policy itself should be as clear as possible. And, you know, with all (laughs) due apologies as a member of the bar, you know, lawyers do not necessarily um, see a benefit in making things clear to people who are reading their text. But uh, companies should insist upon it because it is an obligation under COPPA. And it's just good business practice to let people know what your privacy policy is. A um, couple of other things so worth let mentioning. Me, let me talk about yeah, the privacy policy real quick because I this is something that I think is really important that we should have plain English privacy policies that are so clear you know exactly what's happening and that it's not confusing behind legalese. Certainly you can have the legalese there to protect the company and all that kind of stuff. And and I'm okay with that, but there needs to be a plain English version that people can just understand and know what's going on, especially as it relates to kids. That, you know, one of the provisions is that parents can request that this information be deleted and know that it's going to happen and you know a lot of those things can be automated i always hate it when you get like you try to unsubscribe from an email and it says we'll respond to your concern within 48 hours and it's like no you should just purge my information from the database right then and there it shouldn't be a we'll get around to it come on (laughs) there are a couple of newspaper subscriptions that i've had that i swear you have to write to like Kurdistan in order to yeah. get the cancellation. So yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. This stuff, yeah, we're not naive about this. There's an economic incentive for a lot of these companies to make it as difficult as possible. And if as a parent, you feel like your concerns are not being addressed or you're not getting the kinds of information from the company that you're entitled to, then there is an FTC hotline, which is in their FAQ. You can call them. The other thing, and we'll talk a little bit about this when we get to some of the news about the Child Online Privacy Protection Act, 
your local attorney general, your state attorney general, is also authorized to enforce this law. So if you don't want to deal with Washington, D.C., then call up you know, the attorney general in your state and say, look, I'm having a problem with this website, with this online service, this mobile app, whatever it is, and I really want you to take a look at it. And you know, hopefully your AG will be responsive and, and help you do that. A couple of other things uh, just to keep in mind is that um, the, one of the things that pops up, and again, we'll be talking specifically about this, is that if an online service collects information, even with the parent's consent, they need additional consent in order to distribute that to third parties. And this is really important because a lot of the benefit that companies see in collecting this information is in their ability to monetize it by selling it to advertisers, other companies that are interested in marketing toys, you know, products, what have you. So that's a really important thing is that there are layers to consent that parents should be asked for before uh, there's their kids info is spread around the world. And then I really like the one you highlighted Jethro, which is the ability to say, I'm done, we're out of here, delete the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, companies don't get consent from selling your personal information already. So they're doubly, I'm sure, I mean, they're just not asking for consent to sell that. And it just happens. We all know that it happens, but we go along with it, right? So what what I think really needs to be in place is, is more transparency on when that's happening. And that's certainly, yeah. that's not covered by COPPA or pertinent to this conversation as a whole, but just something that I think we need more clarity on that because uh, I bet most people even listening to this nerdy podcast d- aren't aware of how much their information is being sold to, to other parties. So it, well, the, the, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to jump in because I, I, depending on where you want to turn this, I was thinking that a natural segue here, given your experience as a principal, is the issue of consent in the school environment. When you're dealing with ed tech companies, which is a huge issue, right? And especially during the pandemic. Yeah, for sure. Talk about something that just got completely blown up and nobody was prepared for. Um, But that's an area where when one of the things that I tried to do as a principal, and I wasn't as involved in these conversations as the director of IT, for example, um, but I would try to understand how the company was going to treat our students' information. And ed tech companies know that if it's student information, we need to safeguard it. And so they already have that idea, but they also want to adapt and change and grow quickly to meet the needs of the schools that they're serving. And so some of their uh, policies and practices are not um, are not always as they should be. And so, for example, they don't have to obtain consent from the parents if they're contracting with the school for ed tech services. So they don't need to say to the parents, hey, we're doing this. Um, but there's not a lot of conversation about how the parent's information is going to be used if the parent creates a login or anything like that. And so that's an area that is um, a gray area, I would say. But then also the um, the ed tech companies sometimes are not using um, encryption. And mm. a lot of times they are, especially now. But a few years ago, I, I looked at a, a service and... And they were using um, 
they were using basically Google Drive to hold everything and <laughs> not really like everything was built on Google Sheets. And I was like, you know, this is this is great for a prototype, but this is not yeah. really something that you should go to market when, you know, I, I was like, hey, I don't have access to this thing. And they're like, well, let me just change the permissions to anybody with a link can access it. And it's like, uh, hold on a sec. This is like my students' personal information. Uh, right. Security by obfuscation is not probably good enough. So we need to do a little bit better. So you're like one tweet away from a massive right. privacy yes. <laughs> Well, yeah. you know, this this is tricky. And, and, you know, ed tech companies are, as you well know, Jethro, are in an intensely competitive environment. And I think that that's one of the issues that we face with all of this stuff is that, you know, companies are trying to be very nimble. They're desperate for revenue sources. They're trying to keep up with different technologies. And so I'll in the rush to accomplish the next business thing. I think privacy is routinely one of those things that gets knocked over on the way. Um, one of the things I, I saw with some amusement though, and this is probably my favorite FTC FAQ statement, is that where an operator gets consent from the school rather than the parent, the operator's method must be reasonably calculated in light of available technology to ensure that a school is actually providing consent and not a child pretending to be a teacher, for example. <laughs> so clearly they're dealing a little bit with the real world. They know the issues. Yes. We call that the Ferris Bueller warning. <laughs> That's right. That's good. So anyway, um, you know, again, schools, if you're listening to this, principals, um, you know, keep an eye on the kids because they are they are devilishly clever about all of this stuff. And, you know, and, and appreciate, I think, more seriously, the, the responsibility that schools have to protect the information of children and to minimize as much as possible the spread. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I just got to say, as it relates to this, there is there's so much information that we have at our fingertips in a school and it's needed. And the the content oh, that I right. worked right. on for um for drip seven is around FERPA. And as educators, we do have a need to know a lot of things because it helps us do our job. And you can't conflate that with ed tech companies having a need to know. And so finding a way mm -hmm. also to share only what is necessary for them. They they may not need, so for example, if you have a, a testing solution, you don't need to share demographic information with the te testing company, for example, because all they need is a student ID number and the student's mm -hmm. test results. Then you bring that information back into your student information system, and that's where you break things down by demographics. That's where you de dis determine how kids did according to different grade levels and different teachers and that kind of stuff. And the ed tech companies want that so that they can do that for you and so that they can have the data themselves as well to better improve their product and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's worth having the conversation about how much information they really need and whether or not they need everything that you have in your student information system or if all they need is a student ID and then you bring that back into your information. And this is not an easy question, but it's one that I think we need to discuss as educators working with ed tech companies. And that's a that's a really important point, Jethro. I, I remember um, when I was working on American privacy a few years ago, 
was right about the time that a huge pool of data escaped Facebook, um, which I realize is shocking and <laughs> utterly unexpected. How could that happen? <laughs> Wait, which time was and, this? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I, you know, right. So anyway, there was there was a really fascinating uh, analysis done. So of course, the Facebook stuff was theoretically blind, right? There was some ID that had nothing to do with the person's actual name. But a group of researchers out of Atlanta, I think within 48 or 72 hours, identified a whole pile of people just from all of the collateral information that was stored. And, you know, I think this really gets to the demographic point that you're making is that it's so easy these days with all of the data that is out in the world to provide or obtain a specific identity of someone, even if we're trying to mask their identity with some kind of ID number. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, the more thoughtful we can be about just how much information goes out the door and really balancing the legitimate need for privacy with whatever the economic goals are, um, that's that's a hugely important step to take. Yeah, and worth having the conversation about, and no just way. trying to yeah. understand where where you're at. So let's take a, f- a few minutes and talk maybe about three or four of these um, uh, recent news events. And we've got a whole bunch more in the show notes at cybertraps.com/slash seventy eight, which is this episode. So um, go to cybertraps.com, look at these uh, show notes, see what what else is out there because there's a lot going on. Um, the first one is uh, very recent from August 29th about Angry Birds, uh, Rovio, uh, being sued for violating child privacy. And Angry Birds is like the game on devices that, I mean, they've even made multiple movies about Angry Birds. So, I mean, they've branched <laughs> right. out. And this would is... be li- <laughs> that would be living in an age where apps would inspire movies. Like I know. <laughs> It's all right, crazy. Well, I'm not going to go all old fogey on you right here, <laughs> but I will say that, um, you know, this is a classic example of the kinds of things that parents should pay attention to if they're concerned about the privacy of their children's information. So, you know, again, with respect to this, it's a state enforcement action. So, again, calling out to the attorneys general of mm-hmm. the United States, good on them. Uh, In the state of New Mexico, you've got the Attorney General Hector Balderos, and he has alleged that Revio Entertainment, which produces Angry Birds, has been collecting and selling, this is the important part, selling the personal data of children under the age of 13. Now, part of the thing here is that you would say that this is a game that is not specifically aimed at children under the age of 13. However, what he's arguing is that Revio has actual knowledge of the fact. Is it Revio or it is Revio? Oh, I see. No, I mistyped it the second time. You're correct. Um, Worth correcting? Good, done. So (laughs) Revio, aggressive targeting of underage children through the sale of in-game goods, out-of-game media, and merchandise. So all of the things you're talking about, right? So there's Angry Birds... Uh, CDs, there's movies, there's a variety of different stuff. Plush toys. Oh, right, plush toys. (laughs) Some of those are actually cute. Um, So within the game, of course, you've got upsell of various levels, various 
resources within the game and so on and so forth. So, you know, that I think is going to be an interesting um, allegation of fact. Can they show that this stuff was specifically aimed at 13 year old or under 13 year olds? Or is it just that under 13 year olds would happen to like, for instance, a, a plushy angry bird? I don't know. That's an interesting question, but that's clearly what they're what they're alleging is that you know uh, Rovio was mindful in what they were doing and trying to get these kids to participate. And the other thing I think that's more significant from a parental point of view is that the company is alleged to have quote unquote exfiltrated lovely word exfiltrated the the personal data of the underage children. And then actively selling as a revenue stream. Yeah. And so that'll be a really fascinating case to watch. It's less than two weeks old. So there's going to be a bunch of uh, work to be done on it. Yeah. And one quick comment on that. Uh, Angry Birds, the movie, is not rated PG-13 for kids Uh older than 13. It's actually rated PG. So that's Um, an interesting uh, data point that says, obviously, you're marketing it to kids under 13 because you pursued a rating and wrote a movie that would get a rating of a PG. So um, anyway, Excellent I just think point. Yeah. That, no, that's that. an interesting side note also. Um, so let's talk about one here in um, Washington, which is the uh, online coloring book app recolor uh, settles uh, FTC allegations that Ill- illegally collected kids' personal information. Um, that's also from this year. So um, that's, you know, that's, interesting also that it's they've settled it so we don't know all the details behind it unless it's in there somewhere but i don't think we do but that's one of those things that uh, is concerning also well and i think that that's a a really good one to highlight because number one of course the whole online coloring book phenomenon is just off the charts i mean these things are so incredibly popular and of course logically coloring books are going to appeal to kids under the age of 13 i mean just totally makes sense. But I think one of the things that's interesting about this is that the company that um, produced uh, Recolor is actually based in Toronto. It's interesting. It's a K-U-U-H-U-U-B. So Kuhub, I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce the double use. Um, But then it's also um, that company in Toronto is a subsidiary of a company in Finland. And one of the things that the Federal Trade Commission makes absolutely clear is that the provisions of the Child Online Privacy Protection Act apply not just to U.S. companies, but to any company worldwide that is targeting kids in the United States under the age of 13. So the mere fact that they're based out of the United States is no defense to what they're doing. And actually, just kind of flipping through the um, press release for this, Uh, They actually got the company to um, do a $3 million penalty for the data collection. And then they also have to change their practices and how they handle information, which is very typical of what the FTC does. You know, basically, we'll hit you with a monetary fine. But the more important thing is you need to change your behavior. Yeah. And the other aspect of that that's interesting is that um, it's not. I'm not sure that it's totally clear that they they were intentionally going after or if these were um, users who were using it and subsequently, you know, 
purchase things even though they may not have been over 13 and whether or not that was a um, an intentional decision or not but now they're saying very clearly you better make sure and you better pay attention and absolutely you know, right right this this brings up another you know reiteration that it's not always clear um what age your users are so you can get into hot water and and they um the so they were fined three million dollars but they couldn't pay the full amount so they um you know that's that's a bummer three million dollars is a lot depending on how successful your app is and if you've just poured all that money back into it or paid people then you know you're not going to have that that cash just sitting around and that's that's a difficult position to be in so the next story is about uh, a children's apps unknowingly collecting data pose a compliance risk and this is an area where not everybody is um is aware like we've said and if you're collecting data then um, you could be setting yourself up for pain later on. <laughs> yeah, and this is just a general overview article that uh, you know you and I thought that the listeners might enjoy taking a look at. But the basic point about it is that parents really should have a good idea of what apps their children are using. And one of the things that's useful, and again, it's you know challenging from a parental point of view. And we always come back to the ways in which technology has increased the parental workload. No question about that at all. But one of the things to do that is useful is to take the apps that your child really enjoys playing, put them into a search engine with the acronym COPPA and see what pops up. You know, Mm -hmm. see if there's been some kind of enforcement action, if there's some kind of lawsuit going on. Uh, you know, for instance, it would not necessarily have occurred to me until we started getting ready for the show that, you know, Angry Birds is now facing this particular kind of issue. So on a periodic basis, not like every 24 hours, but maybe every two or three months, you might want to say, so my kid's really gotten into Fortnite. Is there a Fortnite COPPA issue out there that I should be aware of? Mm-hmm. You know, what kinds of concerns are there vis-a-vis privacy? So that's the other kind of search. You can actually do a search for the Child Online Privacy Protection Act, or just more broadly, Angry Birds privacy or Minecraft privacy. And you may well be surprised by the kinds of results you get. And depending on the age of your child, there's some really good conversations to be had. Like, yeah. Are you, as a child, comfortable with this company collecting this information? Yeah. Well, and, you know, it. when you actually have those conversations, then kids choose to change their behavior more often than you would think, which is really the amazing part. And having worked with kids for years on how to help them change their behavior, I'm telling you, when a kid decides to change their behavior, <laughs> it's way more powerful than being told by your parent, teacher, principal, counselor, whatever, to change your behavior. So the conversations are so important and they really do matter. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. Well, both you and I have had the absolute delight of uh, parenting in the technological yes. age. <laughs> and, it, you know, it, having watched teenagers go through the process of carving out an identity and a private space for themselves, they're very sensitive to these issues. And so having a conversation, look, you don't want me coming into your bedroom, but every one of these app producers is in your bedroom. Right. So, you know, think about that. <laughs> think about that. 
Okay. So anyway, a couple of other things to mention real quickly before we start to wrap this up. Number one, um, this is an interesting area for Congress right now. Um, the FTC has been reviewing its regulations for a period of time, but a couple of different bills are floating around, the most recent of which is one proposed by Ed Markey of uh, Massachusetts and Bill Kennedy of Louisiana to expand the protections provided by the Child Online Privacy Protection Act. That is part of a larger movement, and Jethro and I, I'm sure, will be talking about this, uh, by Congress to rein in big tech in a variety of different ways. And I think that to the extent that technology companies do not handle privacy or private information well, they're only going to heat up that process in D.C. You know, people have a variety of complaints about big tech companies. This is one of them. Yeah, and I, I think this is really important also that um, this is an area where you should be paying attention and know what's going on and, you know, continue having those conversations. And I think that reform is is still needed, especially as these things have become um, so ubiquitous. These devices have become so ubiquitous. And especially after this last year, the pandemic, as you mentioned earlier, with everybody going online with everything, then we've got to do something about it. We certainly do, and we will be here to talk about it. So yes. you can be assured. <laughs> Please do check out the materials that we have in the show notes. Um, get in touch with us if you have any other questions about any of this, and we'll be happy to answer them. Yes, agreed. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast in all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you will share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions or guest ideas. We'll take those too. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you are invited to leave us a rating and review in your podcast service of choice. I kind of botched that ending up there. Sorry, everybody. Oh, well. (laughs) We'll we'll get it next week. That's right. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on Thursday. Thursday.